Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and all of the things it takes to build value inside your customer's mind. Today, I've got a fantastic guest, Greg Williams, who is a master negotiator, body language expert, uh, author of what half a dozen or more books, uh, including Negotiating with a Bully, Body Language Secrets to Win More Negotiations, and many more. Greg, welcome. Why, thank you, Mark. I appreciate you extending an invitation to me. <laughs> well, no problem. Uh, go ahead and tell people a little bit more about your... First, let's not wait till the end of the podcast to, to have people figure out how to get a hold of you, if you could give some contact information, but then a little bit more about what you do and uh, what, how you work with your clients. Okay. First of all, people can reach me in several manners. They can do so via email at greg, that's G-R-E-G, at the, T-H-E, master, M-A-S-T-E-R, negotiator, N-E-G-O-T-I-A-T-O-R.com. I can be reached via phone at 609-369-2100, and the URL is themasternegotiator.com. Now, Per some of the activities that I engage in, I not only speak, train internationally, but I also negotiate on behalf of some high-end, high-net-worth clients, uh, movie producers, as an example, uh, CEOs of major corporations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mark, the way I got into doing that was literally years ago, I started uh, observing how people interacted with one another based on the body language gestures they displayed. And even as a little boy, I had an opportunity to shine shoes and I would observe how if you treated someone a particular way, I'd get an extra nickel or dime. You know, that was way back in the day. So an extra nickel, dime, tip, so forth and so on. And over the years, I just enhanced my skills by not only reading lots of books, but going to the School of Hard Knocks and even Harvard University. Yeah, I am a big fan of the Harvard Negotiation Project, uh, understanding underlying interests rather than positions as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I believe in. And most negotiations that I deal with in the business world uh, and help my clients deal with, it's more important to preserve the relationship after the negotiation rather than to pursue a uh, scorched earth policy in the negotiation. Uh, and, and one of the things that made me want to bring you is that we're aligned on that fundamental practice. Uh, the other thing is um, it's ideal if your skills are never brought to, never needed, right? We, we try to teach salespeople to understand value and get the customer to understand value so strongly and so clearly that the negotiation becomes prefunctory. And 
we also know that that's an ideal that seldom <laughs> materializes as well as we want. So we need to we need your skills, and uh, I'm wondering if you've got uh, any thoughts on that. Well, I definitely do. As a matter of fact, you hit upon, and it's part of your theme anyway, value clarity. And that means even when you're communicating with someone in a sales position, whatever, you have to understand their value proposition for how it is that you can deliver value clarity to them. Now, if you and I are in a sales negotiation and we look at our relationship as being what we want to preserve the most, both of us may be willing to make concessions because of our relationship that we otherwise would not make with someone that was not as gung-ho on preserving a relationship. And thus, that's a factor that you have to take into consideration when you're negotiating with anyone. What are they most interested in per the outcome that they are seeking? Some negotiators do take a scorched earth approach. And in doing so, what they're actually saying is the heck with you. As long as I get what I want, I don't care what happens to you. Now, that can create a extreme that can create an extremely deadly outcome because if I feel as though you've treated me unfairly in the negotiation, I may look for ways to get back at you, number one. Number two, I may also try to get out of whatever agreement we've set aside or said that we'd agree upon. So those are some of the factors that uh, negotiators have to be mindful of, especially in sales. Give that person what he or she wants. Yeah, I, uh, we, I, when I was at Miller-Hyman, we really harped on the fact that if you aren't pursuing a win-win outcome, uh, you're either producing a lose-lose outcome or a win-lose or lose-win. And if one party loses in the negotiation, that's only a temporary stopping point because they are going to make sure that the other party ends up losing too. So win-lose uh, and lose-win both eventually turn into lose-lose. So you're either going to long-term, you're going to be win-win or long-term, you're going to end up lose-lose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, uh, that's that's something to remember. And and I'm wondering if you've got any uh, you know, like little tidbits or, or tips that you'd be willing to share with our listeners to say that uh, to to help them understand when things are starting to go off the rails. Um, when we're trying to pursue relationship first, uh, it's easier to dis de-escalate early rather than late. So what do you tell your clients to look out for so that they can uh, get an early, early stop on, on dysfunction? Well, first of all, understand all of the components that are engaged in a negotiation. And that's to say, there may be two individuals that are literally negotiating with one another, but there are mitigating circumstances that may cause one of those individuals to do something that was completely unexpected. For example, uh, someone's boss says, look, this is the best deal that I'm willing to accept. This is what I will not accept. Now, I know you have a relationship established with that other entity with whom you're negotiating, but at this particular point in time, because of mitigating circumstances, that has to be put on the back burner. So now, what has that done? That's placed the individual that's going to be negotiating with uh, an associate whom he'd like to have reserve uh, a relationship with in a more tenuous position. What I suggest during such cases is that not only 
should that individual say to his employer or his boss, okay, so tell me what circumstances you're willing to live with after this negotiation occurs. And what you're doing in that case is painting the picture past the current situation to look long-term, number one, and say, well, okay, I can beat this guy up for you if you want me to this time. But think about what he may come and do to us later on. That's one set of circumstances. Here's something else that actually happened in a real-life case with one of my international clients. There were competing factions with inside of one corporation that had one of the individuals negotiating against another component within the same corporation, and yet there was a third individual that was part of yet a different part of the organization that did not want the deal to go through. Okay, so, so now, yeah. So if, if we look at parts of the organization, A was negotiating with B, but C didn't want that deal to happen. Exactly. And Mark, okay. let's throw even more confusion into this situation. The outside entity with whom they were negotiating had similar concerns about, well, look, if they can't, they being the other entity, can't give us the outcome that we're looking for as far as dollars are concerned. We don't even want to negotiate with them. And yet someone else in that, in that other organization, organization B, let's call it, was also trying to derail the negotiation. So you had competing factors in both organizations whereby they did not want the situation to occur, while you had competing factors inside of both organizations that did want the negotiation to, concern, uh, to occur. What I suggested to the entity with whom I was uh, advising is that first of all, they get their act together identify all the players, why they want to have an outcome such as what they were seeking, and make sure they were on the same page first. And that goes to another factor. Always know what your opponent wants. And the larger the outcome uh, sought, the greater you can do some investigative work. Uh, yeah, Greg, this like opens up a whole bunch of different things. First one is that all of these moving parts um, if we found all of those moving parts during what we normally think of as the last part of the customer's buying process, when a lot of the negotiation occurs, uh, you've already screwed up. Mm -hmm. As a salesperson, mm -hmm. you better have a, a good, clear understanding of those undercurrents, those cross currents, those competing motivations way earlier. Uh, I say that uh, discovery is where you win or lose the negotiation um, and the best listener wins. And so, um, and, and I know that as a Harvard, you know, negotiation project educator, you believe that, um, but it comes to a head if it wasn't managed properly. And so now, now you've got to, you, you've got to deal with not only those undercurrents and, and those competing motivations, but the fact that people are, have started to dig in and get very energized and um, perhaps dysfunctional. Mark, you hit the nail on the head. And see, here's one thing that you can do to at least mitigate some of those potential pitfalls. In your negotiation planning process, you come up with theories about what it is that your opponent may do. And you create ro a roadmap as to how you may get around certain barriers, how you may get around certain um, roadblocks, period. What alternative paths are you going to take to reach your end goal? 
Keep in mind, that person that you're negotiating with wants something from you, which is why they're engaged in negotiating with you, okay? So no matter, yeah, so no matter how small you may think you are as an entity, they're negotiating with you because they see the value. You have to see it in yourself. Yeah, I say that all the time, is that (laughs) when somebody tells you your price is too high, they are asking you, they're inviting you to a conversation. If they really thought your price was too high, they would have ghosted you. You would not, yes. right? You would not have heard those words. So what I want you to hear, what I want my clients to hear when, they, when, when the customer says your price is too high, I want them to get some really dis, almost dysfunctional level selective hearing and hear instead your value is too low. Because if you start responding to that, now you can start exploring in, in a positive, functional way. And uh, I, I kind of joke that it's almost dysfunctional to hear so incorrectly your price is too high uh, and translate it to your values too low. But uh, this is the one time where hearing it, that particular kind of message, that particular kind of uh, reception error, that guides you to the right approach. And Mark, here's the thing. (laughs) Of course, I've had clients say things like, uh, well, can you do something with your price? And jokingly, if it's the right client to do so with, I'll say, of course, I can increase it, (laughs) you know, like that. And they go, no, 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 no. I mean, uh, uh, your price is too high. And I'll say, compared to what? Because as you alluded to a moment ago, you have to understand not only that person's perception about what they are communicating to you, but when you make a statement such as compare or a question such as compared to what, you are now in a position where you're going to get information about their value uh, proposition, their value perspective. And as they say, well, and give you a reason. Okay, so let's hypothetically play this out. They say, well, uh, last year we were able to get such and such for uh, $10,000 less. Okay, you've gotten information. At that particular point, you don't have to say a word. I mean, don't say a word. Don't respond. And let silence just hang there and see what else they say. And we were able to uh, get this bigger discount because the client or the person from whom we purchased it, the entity, uh, was running the special. Okay, now you've just gained additional information and insight by not saying a word, just letting that person talk. Yeah. Good negotiators know not to give out information that's unsolicited, but as a good negotiator, you always want to put yourself in a position where you can gather more insight and information, and you do that by the questions you ask. Don't, yeah. if somebody says your price is too high, don't jump in and say, well, I can lower it. Okay, you're negotiating against yourself at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can't buy it and sell it. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I uh, did. Do you ever, with with your mastery, with your innate ability to read body language, do you ever catch yourself just watching public figures on the television and and uh, reading into motives that those of, that others of us don't see? Mark, I love doing that. (laughs) I call it practice, (laughs) you know? And and here's the thing. We as individuals are more intuitive than we 
realize. And what I mean by that is we may see something, sense something, and not recognize that we've done so at a state of consciousness, but our subliminal conscious has recognized that. I do that by looking at TV to observe uh, the different mannerisms displayed, the different body language gestures. All of a sudden, someone says, boy, that was really great. Okay, now, you can see my body language is saying, well, possibly not. So I look for little signs like that, even when I'm being interviewed on TV and critiquing those that are in the news. I look for those little body language signals, and I also observe to what degree cluster of actions occur. So in the case I just cited, uh, you know, a person may say, um, well, yeah, I, I really do like that. Okay. Yeah. So pe people, when he's saying, no, I really do like that, uh, I'm watching you face to face and you're moving your head side to side with a yes, I really like that. So ah. for those of you who are listening to us on audio, I just want to, I want to provide the mental picture that he's shaking his head no and saying the words coming out of his mouth are yes. Thank you. And Mark, therein lies right there, another point of communications, uh, because I forgot this is audio and not necessarily video. And since I'm looking at you, I was displaying gestures that I thought a viewing audience would see later on. That's yeah. something else you have to be mindful of when you're negotiating with someone. People have different perspectives as you go down a particular course of action, and you have to make sure that you and they are on the same page. Let me get back to this example for a moment also, because when you're talking about observing someone's body language, I said a moment ago, you have to look at a cluster of actions. So even though I'm shaking my head no and saying yes verbally, that might be the way I express myself at that particular moment in time, at that particular moment in time. If I understand as a result of establishing a foundation of how you utilize your body when you're conveying information, I now have something to compare that current gesture to, number one, and let's hypothetically take this a step further, and I'm saying I think this is going to be a good deal while I'm shaking my head, and I'm hunching my shoulders all at the same time. The hunching of the shoulders says I'm trying to protect myself. The shaking of the head says, no, I don't really believe that. Now you have two gestures that are being displayed simultaneously that lend more credence to the fact that, whoa, this person is not altogether on board with what he is saying. So those are what you look for, cluster of body language gestures, and you establish the foundation for how someone uses their body language to establish what a meaning may convey as you engage with them. Yeah, you know, I have met people in my past that don't buy into the idea of body language. They think it's a lot of hocus pocus. And you just um, started helping those people understand the difference between understanding one gesture, right? The old TV um, detective, when they look upwards and to the left, they must be lying, right? Which might may or may not be true, um, but when it is within a context of a cluster of behaviors, then you can start applying. You know, if, if I'm shaking no while saying I like that, it could be that you've just changed my mind. And I was thinking, I didn't think I would believe this, but I do, right? Exactly. Uh, so it, it might be the sign of capitulation and supreme success if viewed in isolation. So, and which is why a lot of people think uh, it's bunk and why, and the only response to that is you just have to become a better student of the sweet science. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh my goodness, you're again a thousand percent correct. Because what I spoke about establishing the foundation first, people, some people, most right-handed people will tend to look up and to the left when they're trying to recall something that occurred in the past. They will also tend to look up and to the right when they're trying to assemble thoughts of what might occur in the future. But some right-handed people may do the exact opposite. Some left-handed people may do the exact opposite, which is why you need to establish the foundation for how they use those gestures before you try to assess accurately how they are conveying them in a particular situation. But body language is for real. We yeah. all emit signals. Yep. So, so here's, here's the thing. When I have worked with sales leaders in the past, vice president of sales has come to me and say, hey, I need negotiation training for my people. Um, I really, just like, uh, your price is too high. You're not really, there's a whole need for a big conversation. When somebody says I need negotiation training, I don't know what they really are trying to solve for. Um, tell me, yeah, I mean, you're, you're nodding your head up and down. Uh, so tell me more rather than me fill in that blank. I'd like to have you help start that, uh, conversation. Okay. To do what? That's the question that you would pose. Why, meaning, why are you seeking additional negotiation training for your salespeople? What's the current situation that you're trying to solve? What exactly is it that they're currently doing that you would need to have improved? Here's the point. You cannot provide any type of service, input, etc., unless you know what it is that you're engaging in. Because... If the sales VP says, uh, well, Mark, I want you to come in to provide negotiation training. And you go, okay, tell me more. And that's an interesting question right there. Tell me more also. So uh, that's the way I would handle it. Get the information that you need. Yeah, Give the you know, I, the, the most common um, why behind that request for more uh, negotiation training is I think my salespeople are succumbing to discounts too frequently. And in that case, uh, I fall back on that. You probably lost those battles during the discovery stage of the sale by not uncovering enough value and helping the customer understand the value they are going to be receiving. If you didn't do that early, it's almost impossible to do it late. Mm -hmm. And Mark, here's something else to hang on. Did you hear the verbiage? I think, I think there, there's no empirical proof there. So even what that person just said to you was, I'm not 100% sure that's the case. Now, so let's say you, you skip over that and you start providing training and the results are still the same that the, the salespeople are getting as they have before. Well, you need to have something to measure against and again, it goes back to understanding what that person really wants. And if he says he thinks they're not doing it, I would ask him, well, can you provide some data first of all before we go down this path? You have to be able to compare your outcome to something. What makes you think that? Tell me more. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Exactly. There you go. That, those are the questions you ask. We, to have gain so much, that we have so much value in the market and I just don't think we're capturing it. Okay. Uh -huh. And why do you think that? <laughs> <laughs> because, oh, well, do you have empirical proof uh, to back up those thoughts? If it's nothing more than a thought, it's nothing more than a wish as to what the outcome could be. And we can try to go after that, but it, it may not be by bringing Greg in first. It mm -hmm, may be mm -hmm. by 
engaging somebody who can help do a really great job of discovery and understanding customer value propositions so that when Greg comes in to help make sure that we don't fumble at the one yard line, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. there's it's you, we've provided a complete solution, but um, reading body language and cleaning up the mess at the last minute is probably not the best negotiation uh, strategy. Oh, it definitely is not. Uh, if you've gotten to that point, you either did not implement your strategy properly or there were circumstances you had not taken into consideration. And even with one of my uh, international clients, literally they just asked if I would provide uh, negotiation and reading body language training for 400 to 600 of their salespeople. And I'm in the process of putting that together right now. But the one major question I asked is, what's different from your perspective now than was the case prior to this request? Yeah. The thing that they mentioned was COVID-19. Yeah. People are at home. So I said, okay, well, but that's valuable input. Yeah, you can, you can it's, it's a little harder to read a customer's body language through um, a Zoom screen than it is face-to-face. And that's fair, but it could also be that uh, they're not doing good discovery, and maybe maybe we should be working together on that client. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you're right. Discovery helps you to plan your negotiation. So again, you're a thousand percent correct. Yeah, and and the Harvard Negotiation Project teaches you that the negotiation actually starts on the first sales call. You're you are planting the seeds and putting the roots down for an effective negotiation at every single time you touch the customer. And if you're not taking an opportunity to understand your position, improve your position early, uh, you've got not, you don't have enough to improve on late. Mm -hmm. Mark, my tagline is you're always negotiating yep. because again, every opportunity you have, even when others are positioning you by whatever they place in the news, say about you, wherever, they are positioning you such that people see you in a particular manner. And that goes into someone's evaluation when they're actually negotiating with you. So my motto, you're always negotiating, is just that. Whatever you do today influences the potential opportunities that you may encounter tomorrow. Now, Greg, you and I are in such alignment. It's really fun to hear. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. So why don't you go ahead and give people your contact information one more time. Sure. They can reach me via email at greg, G-R-E-G, -E at the, T-H-E, master, M-A-S-T-E-R, negotiator, N-E-G-O-T-I-A-T-O-R.com, via phone at 609-369-2100. And, of course, they can feel free to go to my website, which is themasternegotiator.com. Uh, and Greg, thank you so much for your time today. And it was, it's always a pleasure just to even listen to your mellifluous voice. Uh, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we're all about trying to create value, which only exists in your customer's mind, which means your success in sales and negotiating sits all in your customer's head. Thank you and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your
your dues Cause you'll be singing those old Don't know about you This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.